Okay, we are learning the uh, first mimer from Sefer Shmais and Torah R, starting, of course, from the very first page. The mimer begins by quoting the first Pusik in Sefer Shmais that tells us these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Mitzrayim, Yaakov, each man in his household. Now, the Rebbe begins with a seemingly obvious question that the information that is to explain who and to detail who the arrivals are of the Jewish people has already been listed back when they came in real time to Mitzrayim and Parshas Vayigash. So why repeat it here? That's question number one. Question number two, if we look and we do a compare and contrast between the way it's described here and the way it's described back in Parshas Vayigash, we'll notice that in uh, here in Sefer Shmois, it says, Es Yaakov, uh, and in Vayigash, it just says Yaakov. So the question is, why the difference? What, what is the difference? And back there in Vayigash, it includes Yaakov in the B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel, which is odd, being, of course, that Yaakov is renamed Yisrael, as we uh, know from the story of his wrestling with the Malach and later Hashem's affirmation that Yaakov is Yisrael, so why is he also described as being part of the B'nai Yisrael? Seems out of place and even illogical. And so the Amimer, as it often does, sort of puts those questions to the side and says that in order for us to come to an answer understanding of this concept, we have to back up and take a deeper and more nuanced look at the entire experience of coming to Mitzrayim, and of course the slavery and so forth, which begins in the in Sefer Shmois. And what is its objective? What is the purpose of this slavery? So we find that the uh, the descent of the Jewish people into Mitzrayim is described with a twofold statement: Yerad Yeradni, down they went, or went down, they went down, and it is also described that they will be alecha gam ola, up they will go up, or I will take you up and you will also go up. So what are the two levels of going into uh, the, the slavery of Mitzrayim and the two levels of exodus and uplift from the slavery of Mitzrayim? So the Rebbe explains in the Mimer that it is not only a reference to the opportunity and the experience of the exodus from Mitzrayim itself, it is a, an allusion to and a reference to the ultimate uh, uh, exodus, the going out of the Gula Asida, the future Gula, after which there will never again be a Gulas. And we know this because, as we say, he made Seischami Eretz Mitzrayim, that similar to the days when we left Mitzrayim will be. Um, our experience when we leave this ultimate gullus, I will show you wonders. And the analogy being that just like the objective, as Hashem describes, of the exodus from its is you will serve God on this mountain. This is what Hashem told Meshach Rabbeinu at the snare, the burning bush, that the purpose and the objective of going out of Mitzrayim is not simply to be free from Egyptian servitude. It's not just a freedom from, but it's a freedom to. And that objective is 
to be able to serve Hashem via Matan Torah, via the giving of the Torah on Harsina. And thus, the whole process of the Jewish people being in Mitzrayim, enduring all of the slavery and all of the torment and torture, is in order to make them eligible spiritually to be receptive to the message of Matan Torah. Similarly, the objective of the Gullus that we are experiencing is so that we can receive a Torah as well. Which Torah is that? That is what we refer to as Panimiyas Torah. Sometimes we just refer to it as Soid, sometimes as Chsidis. But the concepts that will be available to us through the withstanding of the difficulties of this current Gullus are what enable us, refine us, and make us capable of seeing godliness directly, which is uh, accessed via Pnimis So a little bit of a closer look at the description of the um, slavery and the endurance that the Jewish people uh, lived through in Mitzrayim, and how that resulted in their capacity to be receptive to Matan Torah at Harsinai on Shavuos, and how that becomes a model for the difficulties that we endure during our current Gullus, and how that enables us and empowers us and it refines us to have the capacity to receive Pneumius Atera, to have access to the, the greater depth of, uh, of uh, uh, our relationship with Hashem that is offered via the teachings of Pneumius Atera. So when we look closely into the um, description of the torment that we adored in Mitzrayim, it has numerous descriptions. And each one of those descriptions, of course, is understood literally as the Jewish people suffered, as well as how it becomes a mechanism through which we can access godliness through the study of Torah. So it says that they embittered their lives. That is, Torah is often difficult like that. Everyone who's had the experience of opening up a page of uh, Gemara or a page of Chassidus and being completely befuddled and feeling totally lost, what does this even mean? What is this talking about? What is this teaching me? Can understand how we can describe the study of Torah as often being somewhat, quote unquote, bitter. That is, it's difficult to find, just like a bitter food can be sweetened, but only through great effort. Similarly, the challenge of studying and understanding Torah requires great effort for us to pull out the uh, the message and even the, 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 the simple understanding of it. It also describes us as having gone through avodah kasha, literally harsh labor, and also referring to kasha. A kasha is a difficulty, like the term here as an adjective to describe the labor as having been difficult. It is also when we appear to run into conflicts in Torah, when there are multiple opinions about the same idea, where there seems to be a simple statement and then it's followed by another statement like a perpendicular intersection that seems to completely run into the first statement. These kashas, these difficulties are a form of the avoda kasha, the, the, the difficult labor that we endured in Mitzrayim. 
Then it tells us that we work with mortar and with bricks. And this is a reference to you recognize this from the morning davening, Rabbi Shmuel, and his 13 principles of analysis of the Torah. One of them, a common one, is a kal v'chomer. It references a method of deduction that if a rule applies in a lighter case, a more easily dismissed case, we're still going to enforce this rule. Then, by logic, it is uh, deduced that in a harsher case, we are certainly going to enforce this law. This line of reasoning is known as a kal, light, v'chaymer, harsh. And it is alluded to in the particular description of the form of labor that our ancestors endured in Mitzrayim when they had to build the uh, cities of Pism and Ramses with chaymer and levanim, with bricks and with mortar. And again, it tells us, all the work in the field, all different types of work in the field. In the Talmud, it is a compilation of the Mishnah, which was written at first by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the Gemara, the analysis, which was compiled by Ravashi, and there are also many Brises. Now, a Brisa was uh, taught outside of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince's um, Beis Medrash, his study hall. And therefore, it is comparable to all forms of labor in the field, the field suggesting outside of the civilized city. So the Brises, which are outside, outside of the standard Mishnah, they too are a significant part of our labor in Torah. And again, they embittered our lives. Torah is our life. We had the Avodah Kasha, the harsh labor, the harsh difficulties that we run into when we appear to have conflicting positions in, um, in, in the analysis of Torah. They worked with Chaymer and Levenim, with brick and mortar, which is a reference to Kalva Chaymer. They worked out in the field, which is a reference to the Brises, and that Levenim is also the word, it's similar to the word for white whitening, just like a dirty garment needs a lot of effort to bring out its whiteness, to rid it of its uh, flecks and stains. Similarly, we have a process called Libun Hilchasa, a whitening of, a deep analysis of a legal point that requires great effort for us to decipher and pull the law out via all of the different disputes in the Talmud. Often, it is not resolved in the Talmud. You ultimately have two positions, and it doesn't say which one is the law. That comes later. The Liban Hilchasa is the whitening out. It is the pulling out what is the bottom line instructional that is um, uh, necessary to apply. So just as the literal labor, work, and slavery that our ancestors endured in Mitzrayim was a necessary stage to enable them to receive the Torah, similar when we engage in our labor to discover godliness, truth, Torah understanding, because Torah is Hashem's method of communicating with us, as Xidus often points out, it is not only 
a mechanism for instructing us as to who is the owner of a disputed item or what we should do if we put chicken soup in the cereal bowl. It is ultimately the opportunity for us to become connected with Hashem. And that requires a lot of effort and labor. You have to work very hard at it, as we will discuss in greater detail. So our ancestors historically had to work through physical labor in order to become ready to receive the Torah. Because the uh, um, experience of having Torah given to them was predicated on their commitment and devotion, and ultimately on their willingness to be receptive to the message of Torah. Well, in a similar sense, if we will work through Torah, we will um, plow through the variety of disputes. We will overcome the kashas, the seemingly impossible to solve mysteries and complexities. And we will draw out the whiteness that is sometimes lost under the clutter of all the varying opinions and even be willing to engage outside of only the Mishnah, which seems so deceptively simple. And even of the analysis and go even to the Brisa, this will give us, as the Pusik tells us, that in even greater measure than what we experienced when we left Egypt, I, Hashem, will show you wonders, that which is much more amazing than only deciphering who is the owner of the talus or what the halacha is when the meat has been put in the dairy bowl. We will discover the essence of Hashem's message that is contained within the Torah, the Pneumius Torah. The Mimer now explores this process. How, in fact, does the labor in the field and this hard work grant us access to Pneumius Torah? So we begin with a little background. A quote that we are familiar with, it is part of our davening in the Baruch Sha'amar, in the beginning of Pesukah de Zimra, where we describe Hashem as Melech Meshubach Mufayr Adeshmei Hagodo. Hashem, who is honored and praised till his name is great. Now, what what is the meaning here? What is this teaching us that Hashem's name is great and and honored? So we begin with the ultimate question. What is the objective of a neshama that is innate in Shemaim, one with Hashem, being sent down into this physical world? And our explanation is, as Siddhis often says, it is to grant the neshama the opportunity to experience tainug. Now, the word tainug, if you plug it into uh, a dictionary, usually is translated like something like pleasure. But of course, it is not sensory pleasure like food or aroma. But it is the ultimate, which is to be aligned. And in our context, of course, that means aligned with Hashem. So when we say the word tainug, or we use the English word pleasure, let's not confuse it with the pleasure of material things. Rather, it is about the ultimate sense of knowing who you are and being aligned with Hashem. That's why the neshama endures coming into this physical world. Now, once it comes into this physical world and it has this opportunity, we call this Yerida L'Tzerich Aliyah. Again, another common phrase talked about in Hasidus, that if you were walking down the street and you saw somebody bending down to the floor, you might imagine that they want something that's on the floor. And if you were to interrupt them and say, 
why are you bending down on the floor? And they'll say, well, I want to touch the ceiling. You would ask, why would you bend down to the floor if you want to touch the ceiling? And the explanation is that the person goes down into this coiled position on the floor in order that they not just stand up as they were, for that is of no progress, but that they should then leap up and be able to reach higher than if they just stretched or jumped from the standing position. This is a urida. It appears to be a descent. It appears to be going away from the goal. It is, in fact, a stage to lead them to achieving the goal. You read it to go down the Torah Haliyah. This metaphor illustrates the objective of and the Shama being dispatched down into this physical world, which seems to be a great demotion for the Neshama. It would rather be, of course, aligned with the infinity of Hashem. And we tell the Neshama that its purpose in coming down into this physical world is to give it a greater opportunity to be aligned with the infinity of Hashem. So, of course, the reasonable response is, but won't I be closer with Hashem if I stay in Shemayim? And the answer is, no, it is not. You will become closer with Hashem, just like that person is more likely to reach the ceiling by bending down than if they just stood up tall or tried to jump from that standing position. Now, our opportunity to become closer to Hashem is essentially infinite. Um, because God is infinite, and therefore our alignment, our closeness with Hashem is also infinite. Although we know that it is commonly spoken of that there is simply a lower Ganeidin and a higher Ganeidin, which would seem to suggest there were only two stages, down and up, A and B. However, as the Gemara also tells us, Sadiqim ein lehem nucha, the righteous have no rest, for they are continuously progressing from strength to strength, suggesting that there is an infinite opportunity, even within the, quote, lower Ganeidin, or the, quote, higher Ganeidin, they are not static levels, rather, the tzaddik can and does continuously enrich his relationship with Hashem, even within each of those levels. And so, too, all of us have this greater opportunity via a greater a revelation of God that is God makes himself more and more accessible to us, which is why it is worthwhile for an neshama to even chasvasholim endure um, gehenim, endure the purgatory and the repair process that it may necessitate in order to make it more eligible to receive this kind of alignment from this level called Shmei HaGadol, God's great, but better perhaps, infinite name. All of that uh, suffering that a person may have to go through in Ganeidin is not just a test, it is rather a method through which they can discard any um, clutter that they may, their neshama may have accumulated and thus give them that closeness with Hashem. Now, our sages tell us that Avraham Avinu was given a choice. Which would he uh, designate for his descendants? Would he want them to have to endure Gehenim if they sin, or endure the slavery of, uh, uh, in, as, as that form of repair? And he chose servitude. Again, what it teaches us is that just as Gehenim is designed to cleanse, 
in order to free up the neshama to experience this closeness with godliness, like the smelting of impurities from silver. Similarly, as Avram's choice of slavery suggests, it will also refine and grant opportunity for experiencing Hashem in a more purified form. Now, the innate limitation of a neshama, because it too is ultimately a created entity, that is, we each have our neshama, my neshama is different than another person's neshama, as such that suggests that our neshamas are limited, they have identity, and thus their limitation limits their capacity to be in an infinite relation with an infinite Hashem. And so how are they, even a neshama, going to be able to be connected with Hashem? Because every entity sees all matter through its own, its own lens. So a limited entity appreciates concepts that are limited because it is through its similarity. And Hashem, of course, is unlimited. So what does Hashem do? Because of his desire to be in a close relationship with us, he, gar- he garbs himself in levushim and kalim, in garments and identifiable tools. Like the Pasuk says, he enwraps himself with light like a, like a cloak. That is, he puts himself in understandable, um, definable, um, attainable tools through which we can understand him. And this is ultimately what Torah is. Torah gives us a handle, a point, a portal of entry so that we can, in fact, have a certain sense of closeness with Hashem. Hashem makes himself accessible to us. So when we appreciate something in Torah, that is Hashem speaking our language, speaking to created beings through the terminology of created entities, beginning with Torah, which is, of course, referred to as light, and light itself suggests that it is something definable. We see this alluded to in the beginning of the story of creation where the Pusik reads, And a river went forth from Aden to water the garden of Aden, Gan Aden. The Gan, Gimel Nun, is the gematria, the numerical value of 53, which represents the 53 parshias of Torah. That is Aden, which is the essence of Hashem. That is that alignment with Hashem. But we can't appreciate Aden because we are limited physical beings and we need things in our lingo. And so Hashem dispatches an expression from Aden, that is the river that goes out, to the garden, to something we can appreciate. And the garden, of course, here representing the 53, Gan is 53 numerically, um, the 53 parshits. Now, in order for us to, now on the receptive side, that is Hashem, what Hashem has done, he has made himself accessible and available to us through Torah. So what we have to do is make ourselves a little more like Hashem. Hashem makes himself more limited, that is accessible through the limitations. And in, for, in order for us to meet him, we have to make ourselves more like Hashem, and that is the quality called Bittu, that we have to put aside our own agenda, our own identity, the ultimate limitation, 
this is who I am. We have to put that aside through the surrender of our own independent existence. That's a little confrontational, a little standoffish. I'm me and I'll analyze it. Hashem has overcome his essential equality, which is that he is infinite, to make himself available through the finite words of Torah. And we have to respond in kind and overcome our basic character, which is that we are finite and make ourselves more accessible to the infinity of Hashem. And that's why Hashem is described as Shmei HaGodol, his great name, but better perhaps infinite name. Well, how can it be a name and be infinite? A name suggests it's defined. Infinite to suggest it's not defined. And that characteristic is called Hashem's Keser Elyon, the crown, that which sits on top of the head. It's not something specific. It's not something graspable. Just as a king's crown embodies his whole community, his whole country, his whole family, his whole identity, Hashem has made himself accessible to us. Now, this helps us understand what it says in the Pasuk and Shirashir. In Shirashir, in chapter 6, Pasuk 8, it says, "Shishim hema malachis ushmeni palakshi ma'amosim nisbar," which translates simply as, "There are sixty queens and eighty uh, wives, palakshim concubines, and innumerable maidens." Now, the the medrash tells us that this is a reference to the mesechtes of uh, the Mishnah, who are compared to the queen or the woman. Um, why they why and the eighty brises and the innumerable maidens are all of the Torah study uh, that is available to us. Now, why is it compared to uh, the male female relationship, the king being Hashem and the queen being the Mishnah? So we explain that just as in the conception of a child, the father's contribution is fleshed out quite literally and given nuance and meaning and development through the mother. Well, in the same manner, the Mishnah starts to flesh out through its analysis that maternal characteristic, which is itself, even the mother, her, the, 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 the fertilization within the mother, the mother's contribution is also the product of the food which it ingested and then developed via the male contribution that stimulates this growth. So the food develops through the body, the mind, and the heart and the liver, and they become eligible to be further extracted and developed into a child. And again, this mirrors the process, this male-female, king-queen relationship mirrors the process through which we take Torah, the message from Hashem, and we decipher it, and we develop it, and we nuance it, and we give it depth and meaning until it develops into a full-grown entity. One without the other, that is the contribution from Hashem, Without the analysis or the analysis without the contribution, which you can't, there's nothing to analyze, we'll get you nothing. It's the two combined that will come together. And we see this further underscored in a Pusik in Shmuel Bay's chapter 22, Pusik Mem, Pusik 40. The Pusik reads, It reads, You have girded me with the strength for battle. You have subdued under me those that rose up against me. Now, that first word, vitazreni, which we translated here as girded to strengthen, also is for the word zora as goyrin, to winnow. Just like in the harvesting of wheat, you have to winnow out the healthy kernel 
from the discarded chaff, so too in Torah study, we have to um, decipher the kernel of MS, the kernel of the message, the truth, the godliness that is often buried under um, clusters of distraction, of in, in, incorrect analysis, mistakes, misunderstandings, and so on. And again, just as the Mishnah attempts to uh, I decipher and identify that which is mutter, mutter, of course, literally meaning permissible, more literal, more, more colloquially meaning freed, unchained, eligible, the godliness there can be brought up just as kosher food is mutter. It is an opportunity for one to elevate it in the usage of Hashem. Again, he makes a bracha, he eats the food, he uses the strength to then go and do a mitzvah. Its kedusha is mutter, it's free, it's accessible. And he elevates the godliness by transforming it in the physical self and vitalizing their primary health functions, the heart, the brain, the liver, and thus engaging in mitzvah activities so that this chain, starting with the mutter, which was discovered via the analysis of the Mishnah, now comes to complete the circuit so that our intellect, our analysis, our study, discovered the godliness that was available. We then engage with our physical body to incorporate that godliness to thus make the profit of utilizing that godliness to vitalize our humanity, to engage in mitzvah actions. In contrast, if one consumes something that is usr, usr translated as prohibited, more uh, specifically here, that which is imprisoned, that which is chained, that is its kedusha is trapped. And if one indulged in it, even if they then used its biological energy to do a mitzvah, that godliness cannot be free. It cannot be um, elevated back to godliness even though its biological energy, its nutrients, empowered the person to do mitzvahs. The same is true with the clothing we wear, the homes that we live in. These are more makif. They surround us. They also, though, empower us to do mitzvahs. Uh, they can be uplifted uh, and utilized in the service of Hashem. Again, how? When we engage with the quality of chachma. Chachma, as we explained, it's not about genius or about our IQ. It is about the bit or the willingness to truly learn something, not simply to pile on more information, but to be genuinely receptive to a concept that is completely outside of our knowledge base, which can be very discomforting, disequilibriating. And that is the product. The only time we can truly learn is if we are willing to put aside what we already know and overcome the temptation say, yeah, yeah, I know that one already. It's just something similar to what I already learned. But to truly put aside our identity, our self, our yeshes, our uh, self-identified character, and be genuinely receptive to something new, that is the quality that transforms something from being self-serving to accumulating information to becoming God-serving. Again, Hashem goes through, quote, the effort to embed himself within the understandable, we go through the effort to overcome our 
um, character in order to make ourselves receptive it, from being serving of self, what am I going to get out of it, to serving of Hashem and being alone? Like it says in Micha, Perig Vav, Pasuk Beis, chapter 6, Pasuk 2, the Itani Moiste Aretz, which translates literally as the mighty ones are the founders of the earth. That word mighty ones can also be rearranged in its lettering to spell the word Tanoim, which means the authors of the Mishnah. They create a, an environment. And as Dovid Melech writes in Tillim, in, in Perak Memtes, Pasuk Aleph, in chapter 89, verse 1, that is the wisdom of the Eitanim, of those who are so strong in the study of Torah. And this helps us understand why Torah is compared to a queen specifically, because the queen's constant alignment with the king producing that dynamic of ma, the infinite, with ban, the analysis, this dynamic of an abstract level of godliness coupled coupled with a, an immediate level of godliness, this produces the, which is the product of chachma, that is the bittel, that allows two to become one, allows for there and creates the opportunity for there to be this unification and thus this level of godliness that can be experienced only through the combination of the human and the divine.